But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like the prayer that we read earlier. This is a simple lesson of Jesus, and, and on the face of it, it looks, well, fairly straight up and down, doesn't it? This is how you should pray. But I want to say to you this morning, and we're going to unpack this first line quickly, Jesus is more than just a great teacher. He is more than just pointing the way to God. He is the way to God. And this lesson therefore becomes quite mind-blowing. So Jesus shows us that when we pray, as Christians, we are participating in a radically different process than the way other people pray. Other people pray. I, know, I don't know whether you know this, but there are a lot of religious people around the world, yes? And all of them pray. All of them pray. And it has been suggested in some circles that this means that all people have the same relationship with God. I want to tell you that Jesus says different. Prayer, as universal as it is, is clearly different. There, there are clearly, Jesus teaching, two ways to pray. There is the pagan way and there is the Christian way. Now, in our society, pagan we, and I've, I've done this before, generally I mean, when I use the word pagan, I mean the irreligious, the atheist, the sceptic, yeah? But Jesus has a different usage of the word, and sometimes we get a little bit confused. In Jesus' usage, pagan simply means one who is not a Christian, not as, one who is not a follower of Jesus, one who doesn't believe what Jesus is saying, is the pagan. Because the pagans, they're praying, aren't they? They're not sceptics, they're not irreligious, they're not atheists, they're praying, using lots of words, all the words, all the best words. But they're not praying the same way. What Jesus says is there are two types of people in the world. The pagan, the Christian, or the Christian and the non-Christian. Jesus is saying there is something very unique about the way Christians pray. That is very, very important. Do not pray like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words, your Father knows. Now, I, I've, your Father knows what you need, uh, so don't keep babbling on, right? I, I've, heard, I've heard preachers bring these texts, so verses 7 and 8, I don't know whether I put them in separate, verses 7 and 8, you know, don't babbling on, they think they'll be heard, your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. And I've heard preachers say things like, well, you you really shouldn't come to God with a list of things you want and need because God already knows, right? This, this text says you don't need to pray that stuff. You don't need to ask God what, for what you need, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Well, clearly that's not what Jesus is saying because in a couple of verses, 
he teaches his disciples and his disciples and he says, to say to God, give us this day our daily bread. So this is not what Jesus is saying. There's something here of an understanding that we're missing, I think, sometimes. These verses describe two fundamentally different ways in which you can approach God. Two fundamentally different bases on which you approach prayer based on what you believe your relationship to God is like. How you assume your relationship with God works. I hate to tell you this, but a lot of people who think they're Christians, a lot of people who are part of the church, who recite the Lord's Prayer, or in Catholic circles it's known as the Our Father, a lot of people who recite this prayer are great at reciting it, but not so good at praying it. I think the key for us this morning is to ask yourself the question, what reason would God have to listen to me? Do you ever ask yourself that question? You have to answer that question for yourself every day, every prayer. Going to church, you see, being religious, being busy, praying up a storm, playing guitar, playing instruments, playing piano, playing whatever, doing graphics and whatever else, none of that matters to whether or not you're a Christian. What you have to do is answer the question, what makes you think God would listen to you? When I was growing up, my parents had borders, not boundaries, well they had boundaries, but they had borders, people who lived in our house. Students from across the country would come and study in Sydney and because of the Salvation Army networks and whatever else, they would often find themselves staying with my parents' place uh, at my parents' place, paying someone, I don't know how much money, per week in rent. I was too young, didn't care. And, um, and you know, my parents loved them. Parents loved them a lot. But they didn't have the same relationship as the ones I had with my parents. My sisters and I, they had a, we had a very different relationship. In fact, there were times where, for instance, the boarder would come with the money for the week's rent and um, my parents would be up in the study or out in the you know, in the garage or whatever else. And they were in places where the border didn't feel like they could go and approach my parents, even to give them money. And so we'd have to go and find our parents and bring them back to the lounge room or whatever where they, where they could do the money, right? Do you see how that, that works? You see, there are two different relationships at play in this example. There is a transactional relationship, the one that exists between the borders and my parents. And there's the family relationship, the one that exists between me and my parents. A relationship that exists because of what you pay or what you give is a transactional relationship. But a relationship that exists because of who you are is a far more powerful family relationship. Non-Christians pray and pray and pray, they offer things, they light things on fire, they do all sorts of things, some of them cut themselves, some of them do insane things to try and gain the attention or a response from God, they give all this stuff. But Christians, Christians know who God is, where God is and what He is like, so they approach prayer very differently and that is what Jesus 
is saying. Who? Our Father. This is the fundamental thing that we need to understand. When we pray this prayer, our Father. We need to stop and remember two things when we read these two words. First of all, we are talking to someone. This is not an exercise in cognitive behavioral therapy. This is not uh, a verbal diary. This is not a captain's log. This is not a journal. You are actually in conversation with someone. And secondly, we need to remember this is our Father. When I was little, I was taught to address neighbors, friends, family as Mr. or Mrs. So and so or Miss So and so. You know, when you're at school, Mrs. So and Mrs. Do you know what I mean? That was right and proper. There's a distance. Some people were a lot closer to our family, and, and even though they weren't biological aunties or uncle, we'd call them auntie or uncle. But this is our father. Nothing like dad. It, it, it's like dad or mum. This is what Jesus says. When you pray, say, our father. The Apostle Paul um, explained it to some people in the church in Galatia. In the first century, he writes this in Galatians 4, 6-7. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent His Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that He might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. And thus, we've been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as His own children, because God sent the Spirit of His Son into our lives, crying out, Dad, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? Doesn't it? And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. We, uh, we talked a lot about adoption and, and the life of the Spirit in us, proving that and teaching that adoption to us from the inside um, over Easter time. And if you weren't here at Easter time, I, I encourage you to, to go back and look at the, the videos from Easter time for a fuller understanding of what he said, what Paul means when he says we're adopted. Because it's fun fundamental and foundational to the way we approach prayer. Um, in the weekly email that we send out, I'll, I'll put the link there um, for you to get those messages and look at those again. Because that's the who. We need to understand the who we talk to when we say our Father. And then we need to understand the where. Our Father who art in heaven. When I was a kid, um, I used to think, and I, I don't, I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on this, but where do you think heaven is? Anyone got an idea? Where, where is heaven? When you were younger, where did you think heaven was? On the sky? Above the sky? You know, have you ever stopped and thought about, okay, now I'm an adult, I know there's just more sky above the sky, where, where is heaven now in my picture? Have you ever stopped and think about that? No. Where is heaven now? Sorry, put that in the too hard basket. 
Yes? Have we done that now? Is it the too hard basket for us adults? That's right. There is a very definite connection between us and heaven. So we can't say it's completely separate. But when I was a kid, I'm like, it's up there, somewhere up in the universe, and, and it's all far away. And that's when I prayed, I would think of God as somewhere way up there and way out there. But this verse has been mistranslated. Did you know that? Let's have a look. Um, this word heavens comes out in the Old Testament quite a lot. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It is He, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretch, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings processes, princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Now, in Jesus' prayer, the word heaven, that we say, who art in heaven, is actually plural. Did you know that? No? Are you interested? Uh, you should be. Because the phrase would be better translated, our Father, the one in the heavens. In the heavens. Right? So, heavens actually means all that has been created. Our Father is not distant and remote. He is in creation, in the sky, in the atmosphere, in the very air we breathe, closer than any human can ever possibly be. He's all around us, closer than the air we breathe. You see how that changes the way we understand what we're praying here. Our Father, not the one who was up way beyond heaven, but our Father, the one who is with us, in us and through us, in all of creation. Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. The what? What do we pray? What is God interested in? Does God care about the little things in life? Is He interested in the things that matter to me, that concern me? Well, the truth is, there is no concern, no matter how small or large that God doesn't care about. There is no request, no matter how silly or trivial it may seem, that God doesn't want to hear about. God wants to hear about everything. He wants to talk to us about everything. Yes, even our daily bread, whether it's sliced bread from coals or a nice piece of sourdough, it's all interesting to God. He's probably more excited by the sourdough, I presume especially with some smashed avo on top. Thank you, Lord, for avocado on toast. It's true, right? Who loves? Who doesn't like avocado on toast? Come on. <laughs> right, we have prayer after this. We're going to have to pray for these people. Give us this day our daily smashed avo. He wants to talk about everything. Everything. But the first request in this prayer is this, hallowed be thy name. It's not about us, it's about God. It's our first, first point. A couple of years ago, we went through a sermon series that discussed the names of God, the various names that people have given God, some of the more important ones. 
There are hundreds of names that people have given God. But in actual fact, they're not really names. I would describe those as labels. See, in the Bible, the name of someone or something is a complete description of their reality. The name of God is a complete description of God's character and God's existence. Actually, it's interesting, in some ancient cultures, they believed that if you knew the true name of something, you would gain complete control over that thing. But human names, human names and the names that we use now are just just mere labels, mundane labels. My name is Philip, pleased to meet you. Uh, My name means, apparently, lover of horses. It's not true, unless you extend the definition. I, I thought about this and I thought, you know, I could be lover of horsepowers and um, I, could be, I should be blessed with a Bugatti Veyron and uh, I'd be, you know, that would be my name in flesh. Dear Jesus, praying for a Bugatti. No matter how big, no matter how small. So when we pray, hallowed be your name. We are praying that God's name, His character, His history, His existence be respected, revered, and celebrated. That short phrase is a phrase of praise. Psalm 66, verse 1 to 4. I think love, I, I love the way this puts it. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of His name. Tell the world how glorious He is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious song. So when you pray, says Jesus, you pray, you say, our Father, Dad, you are beyond the universe and you are right here with me. Right with me. I revere, respect, and celebrate you, all that you have done and all that you've done for me. That's how we pray. Not with lots of empty words, requests. So this morning, as we wrap up, we're going to sing a song in a moment amid all the traffic of the ways. But I want you to come back to that question. When you pray, what makes you think God would listen to you? What makes you think you genuinely have the right to pray this prayer? What makes you think you can simply talk to the God the same way, talk to God the same way you would talk to your 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 mother or father? What makes you think you can walk right into wherever he is and talk to him? What makes you think God is right here with you? What makes you think God is the kind of God who deserves to be celebrated and praised? What makes you think God would listen to you? Let me tell you how I answer the question. I go to Romans 8, where Paul says, again, he's talk, he talks about adoption. 
He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, or Dad. So this is the challenge I have for you this morning. Your challenge is to understand again today that you were chosen by God to be his adopted child. He chose you regardless of what you've done. He chose you because of who you are. And now you can call him dad, father, or mum, mother, whatever. So we're going to sing this song. Right now, take a moment to reflect on the fact that you were chosen, you were targeted for grace, you were in the mind of God when Jesus hung on a cross out of his love for humanity. You have been adopted, invited, and chosen to be a member of the family of God. And your answer to the question, what makes you think you genuinely have the right to pray this prayer? The answer is simple. God invited you to. Pure and simple. Do you believe that? Because unless you do, you can't pray that prayer for real. You can recite it all you like. Do you know God chose you? Let's sing this song, Mid All the Traffic of the Ways. If you would like to come and to kneel and to pray, Maybe you would like to come and to pray and simply say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Maybe you would like to come and to sit and to pray at this place of prayer and to say, My heavenly Father, thank you for being with me. I praise you for all that you are and all that you've done for me. Maybe you'd like to come to kneel before God in this place of prayer where thousands have knelt before and to pray those words. And I would encourage you to do that or you may like to pray them over and over again in your seat as we sing.
and spreading out the heavens, all of creation and the universe it contains. And yet, you are in all of it, through all of it, and with us here. We thank you that 2,000 so years ago, you came as a human being born into this world with all of its struggles and strife and messiness. And you said, God loves you. You said, God has chosen us. You invited us when you said, this is how you should pray, our Father. You invited us into a relationship, reminding us that we are adopted and chosen as yours. May that reality continue to seep deeper and deeper into our hearts. And may we find times of quietness with you in conversation, bringing you up to speed with our days, our thoughts, our feelings, our friends, our relationships, all the bits and pieces that go into our lives. May we have those times just of conversation. May we enjoy one another's presence, we pray. Amen and amen.